I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hello, everyone. So this Monday was the quarterly ban list update for Commander. And although there were no changes to the ban list, we did get some exciting news alongside the update. So Sheldon Maneri announced the creation of the Commander Advisory Group, which is a new body made up of prominent members of the Commander community. This group is going to advise the Rules Committee on important decisions about the format. And before we launch into our discussion about the group's members and its potential impact, we want to take a minute to talk about how you viewers can support the news and analysis that we provide for Commander. Commander Theory recently launched its Patreon page, which means that all of you listeners can now start directly supporting the show and get access to some sweet rewards. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron and vote on what sort of content you'd like to see and get a shout-out in the show's credits. If you're willing to give a little bit more, you can hang out with us on Google Hangouts, get one-on-one deck advice, get your questions answered on the podcast, and more. So check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory and become a patron today. If you're on a tight budget and can't commit to becoming a patron, you can still help us out by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other potential listeners find us so we can grow our listener base and invest more time and money in the podcast. So we can produce better content, which you get to enjoy free of charge, all because you took a few seconds to write a review. You can also let your friends know about the podcast and help us find new listeners that way. Mm-hmm. So, the Commander Advisory Group. According to Shell Maneri, the role of the advisory group is to provide feedback on topics suggested by the Rules Committee and raise issues that they believe need attention. The Commander Advisory Group is currently composed of six members. You want to read those out for us? Some of these will probably be familiar to you guys. So the first one's Adam Staborski or Stibbs, sometimes he's called, a longtime commander content producer, had a fair number of articles on the mothership. I think he had, like, an article series. Yeah, I think he wrote Serious Fun for a while. Yeah, for a little while. There's Charlotte Sable, a level three judge who's been providing rules advice to the community for several years. Uh, She has an Ask a Judge blog on Tumblr. Magicjudge.tumblr.com. Yep. Josh Lee Kwai. The host of the Command Zone and creator of Game Nights and Extra Turns. I think like the most recognizable. Yeah. And then uh, Rachel Agnes, a writer for Channel Fireball, a Twitch streamer whose views on Commander are kind of through like a Spikes perspective. Yeah, I think she's definitely got like a more competitive mindset. Yeah. A lot less on the the fun side of the spectrum and more about like, well, what actually helps you win the game. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. There's Ron Foster. He is credited with kind of making Commander popular in Japan. We'll talk a little bit more about him, but we don't know as much about him as the other guys. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Shivam Bhatt is the co-host of the Commander in Podcast. But yeah, that's the group. Let's dive a little bit deeper into what we know about these people. Adam Staborski, he's done some good things for the format. He's promoted awareness mm-hmm. by writing about Commander on a couple different venues, including the Mothership. Yeah. Sheldon Maneri actually recently wrote an article on Star City Games clarifying how he views the members of the advisory group and also what his hopes are for the advisory group. Yeah. So according to Sheldon Maneri in this article, Adam's preferred style of play is probably the closest of the commander advisory group to Sheldon's. Yeah. So that's an interesting piece of information that we'll unpack a bit more later. Yeah, definitely. What about Charlotte? Yeah, so Charlotte through her blog is given a lot to the community she is a level three judge so she donates her time to help players learn the rules 
as well as like in her off time when she's running the blog. Uh, she seems like she could be a like really valuable member of the advisory group because she knows so much about the roles and can kind of offer a perspective through like a judge's eyes. Josh Lee Kwai, he has great knowledge of the format and has done a lot to promote it. I think that more than anyone else, probably, he's made Commander really watchable. Yeah. His videos, like the production quality is so high. He's such a, a perfectionist when it comes to like making it really pop and yeah. move and like just have great flow. I think he's a, a real craftsman, and I think he also has some good ideas for making Commander more watchable and bringing it to a larger audience. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get more into that in a moment. And then, yeah, so Rachel Agnes, I've been following her for a long time just because of her articles on Channel Fireball and Vintage Super League. If anyone has ever watched that, it's pretty entertaining. But her perspective on Commander, I think, I, I agree with a lot. I think me and Nick both do. And I think you need, like, a few people like her in the advisory group to talk about the real politic of Commander. Like, if you're going to twist the knobs all the way to 11, what happens to the format? Exactly. Like, set aside maybe, like, what people hope the format will be. Yeah. And look at, like... The reality. The reality, and especially where the incentives are. Yeah. Like, what is what is the correct thing to do, regardless of, like, I just want to have fun with my bros. Like... And what I'm hoping is that she'll bring that sort of perspective to, like, designing the format. Like, yeah. can we design the format so that the fun thing is, like, often the correct thing? Or yeah. can we align those a little bit more? Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of the thing I think we're both interested in is if she's thinking of, like, tinkering with some of the more, like, competitive aspects of the format. And uh, I guess we'll see kind of as things move on. Mm-hmm. Ron Foster, we know very little about him. Yeah. He's kind of a big question mark. Um, he doesn't produce much Commander content. It seems like the main way he interacts with the online community is through his Twitter feed, and that's largely in Japanese. Yeah, that was the first place I went, and it was not super helpful. <laughs> What's interesting is that he does have a close relationship with Sheldon Maneri. They've got a relationship that goes back really far. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting kind of the thing about him like though we don't know much about him he's kind of been an insider with the rules committee for a long time they yeah. know him for a long time and then shivam bot so i've listened to his commander in podcasts mm-hmm, that he mm-hmm. co-hosts and it seems like he provides like a sort of casual fun oriented perspective on the format I think it's good to have diversity in viewpoints and he could potentially balance out say like the rachel agnes competitive yeah. viewpoint Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you want to start with with your hopes for like what comes about because of this change? Well, my main hope is that the rules committee listens to them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because like everything we've heard about the advisory group so far doesn't suggest that they have any actual power. Yes. It's all just advisory and like if you know anything about citizen advisory groups, for example, <laughs> They're kind of toothless. Yeah. So I'm a little worried about that, but we'll get more into the fears later. Yeah. So, so my hope <laughs> is that Rules Committee is like open to hearing these new ideas and that the members of this advisory group are sort of aware of the problems facing Commander and they have ideas to address them mm-hmm. and that we can get some change. Because I think that Commander has been a little bit stagnant Yeah. lately. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like over the past couple of years, there have not been 
major changes to the ban list aside from the silver bordered experiment for yeah. one month. Yeah, that most people I feel like didn't actually participate in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like we we saw the unbanning of Protean Hulk a year and a half ago maybe. Other than that, it's just been a lot of like no changes every 3 months. Yeah. I'd like to see more change. I'd like to see more experimentation. I'd like to see that the leadership of the format is gearing up to address some of these challenges. Some of them have been like kind of cresting for a while. Some of them are like looming in the future. Two in particular that I'm thinking about are gathering commander data. Yeah. And using that to drive decisions about the format. That's one. And then the other is making commander more watchable so that it can like sort of move into that esports as one of the more prominent formats for people to watch on Twitch or YouTube. I think those are the two big challenges or or at least the two big challenges that the rules committee has control over. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's things like, you know, repents and the reserve list and like creating new archetypes in the format, but that's more of like a wizards thing. They can address those kind of things. Like I think if they've applied pressure to wizards because wizards listens to them like they worked with them on like the last few commander products so Mm -hmm. like obviously they have some amount of say and maybe not the cards that get printed but like things that wizards can do i think that like they do have the power to like push and be like hey when are we gonna get some of these reprints hey maybe we can make this format more accessible in these ways like various things like that like they can't directly affect making the rules or like printing the cards but they can like affect the people doing that if that makes sense that's my big hope for the advisory committee is that they actually like push the rules committee to push wizards Mm -hmm. and more so than like you said it seems like they've just been kind of stagnant and kind of just coasting just chilling for a while so just to expand a little bit on these problems that we've been talking about the issue with data is that the rules committee doesn't seem to be very interested in finding real world data to inform their decisions like when they talk about protean hulk unbanning their process was essentially like put protean hulk into decks that weren't trying to break it and then oh it's fine if you're not trying to break it so it's probably okay to unban it turned out okay protean hulk doesn't seem to be messing with the majority of the format but it also like i don't think that's a good process I think it could have turned out very badly. Yeah, it could have gone horribly. So I'd really like to see them partner with Wizards to collect Magic Online data about Commander. Also, like, they could look at EDH rec data just to see how people are building around the format. Yeah. And one thing that's really interesting about Magic Online that I think would be really valuable for them, just information for them to know, is Magic Online is not affected by the same price constraints that paper magic is yeah like the reserve list is not a thing i think there's only 20 cards on magic online that are currently worth more than 20 dollars yeah 20 tickets 20 tickets yeah that's a constraint on real life magic that doesn't exist over there so we can see what the format would look like say if the reserve list didn't exist yeah or or just like what the format looks like when you remove price barriers how do people build it yeah and i think that tells you a lot about like the commander community and how they're building decks because maybe if price weren't a concern then a lot more people would be running survival the fittest or a lot more people would be running crater hoof behemoth yeah (laughs) and then you know like okay crater hoof maybe that's not a problem now maybe it's not as horribly ubiquitous but 
what if it gets like printed at rare yeah. in a new set? What if it's really just an issue of price and constraint? Mm. And if it dropped in price, then suddenly you'd see it everywhere. Yeah, I mean that's definitely true. Is like if like Mana Crypt was yeah was cheaper, like you would see that everywhere. Exactly. If it, Mana Crypt was printed in precons, yeah, just people would just throw it into all their decks. I think that information would be incredibly valuable. And another way that they could utilize Magic Online is experimentation in like a methodical, controlled way. Mm-hmm. They've like done a lot of armchair philosophizing about like if you were to unban <laughs> Painter Servant, this would happen. Yeah, I don't think all of those ideas are super based in reality, and they have the tools to test them. Yeah, I think that Magic Online is a great way to do like experiments in what's legal in commander because you have that administrative power if you want to join a commander play group this is not legal in your deck anymore so take it out i'd love to see those kinds of short-term experiments like what happens if you put a card on the ban list on parole yeah it's like it's suddenly legal on magic online for six weeks yeah or what if you like put a card in the penalty box and see what happens to the format yeah <laughs> They talk about like how much data they can collect from Magic Online. Why aren't we partnering to make use of it? Yeah, I think that's the biggest gripe I've had about the Rules Committee maintaining control of the format over Wizards is just like, I w- would hope and dream that they're communicating in some way about any of that, but it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. they are. So I, I would really exactly, like you said, hope that these data points can get to these people who literally control the format and if it's not getting to these people why Mm -hmm. (laughs) and why aren't they demanding it like why aren't they asking for it one thing that wizard said recently that like really made me think oh my god like why aren't they in control of the format yeah (laughs) when they were discussing the recent banning in modern their decisions are so clearly like data driven and like explained in a way that's like okay i understand your perspective even if i didn't agree with it which like I don't care about modern. I don't have a yeah. <laughs> horse in that race. But even if you didn't agree with it, you can really understand their argument. And you can argue about like the validity of their methodology, but there clearly is a method. Yeah. Whereas that's not the case with decisions banning commander. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm getting away from the point. Two sentences in this banner restricted announcement that I thought were really, really important were when we examine the effect of powerful cards, we consider whether they are increasing or decreasing the number of viable decks in the environment. In the current state of the metagame, the build around nature of Agent Stirring supports decks that look very different from a simple collection of the strongest rate cards and that otherwise may not exist. So, from this statement, it's clear that they are trying to maximize the number of viable archetypes. When they tinker with the format, they want that to be optimized. Yeah. And I don't know if the rules committee is trying to do that. No. <laughs> like currently, that is my goal for the commander. And I, yeah. we talk about it all the time about how important it is to have a lot of viable options in commander. And that's why, like, we love it when we see new designs that open up new archetypes. Or when we get like weird cards that only go in specific archetypes. And, and why I complain so much about good stuff. Like mm-hmm. Wizards, when they talk about the format, they don't want to support decks that are just simple collections of the strongest rate cards. Yeah. Or good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that for Commander either. Yeah. But I don't know if the current rules committee like thinks in that same way. If we can't have Wizards control in the format and like implementing this kind of mindset, I hope that we'll find this mindset 
in the advisory group. I just hope that they can kind of convince the rules committee to act on things much more than they have been. Mm -hmm. So we kind of talked about viewability. Do you want to get into that a little bit more? Yeah. So another major problem facing Commander is, is watchability. For any other format, if you're playing modern or standard or whatever, any 1v1 format, it's so easy for a streamer to just fire up Magic Online or mm-hmm. fire up Arena, and then you get to provide like fun gameplay for your audience. That's great. It's easy. But Commander, it's not available on Arena. Yeah. <laughs> and multiplayer Commander is not super watchable on Magic Online. Yeah. <laughs> Magic Online like really slows down the pace of the game because if you're playing a deck where instants are crucial, if you've got like spot removal or counter spells, then you've got to hold up priority yeah. on your opponent's turn. So like that means four players have to pass priority for every phase of every turn. Yeah. And it just really can can grind things to a, a crawl. And there's also like the issue of like bug fixes in Moto. Moto can be kind of buggy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I heard recently that if you concede while something is on the stack, then it will restart the entire game in multiplayer. Oh, no. Yeah. Things like that that just totally <laughs> ruin the game. As a streamer, you might have been going through a game for 90 minutes and then this happens. What do you do at that point? Yeah. So there's these constant bug problems, and Wizards is also like devoting less time to Moto yep. and shifting its focus to Arena. Yeah. So there's going to be even less support for these problems in the future. It's an issue. Mm-hmm. There are people like Josh Lee Kwai who are trying to solve this problem, and I'm so happy that he's on the advisory group. Yeah, me too. But it's a challenge that the rules committee they haven't made any like major changes to try to solve this they've recognized it like scott larrabee talked about like what his upcoming priorities were where he hinted at the formation of the advisory group and talked about how like capitalizing on streaming and twitch should be a priority for them going forward but mm-hmm. i think they're a little bit late to the game and the yeah. rules committee doesn't really have the expertise yeah to solve this problem i think that is one of the major reasons why like josh lequai was picked in particular is because like they are kind of coming around realizing oh this would be better if it was watchable oh we don't know what we're doing oh that guy knows what he's <laughs> doing because like if you have watched any of like the game nights or command zone videos like they're so well edited mm-hmm. and like they're so smooth and uh like you're actually interested to watch this game at least for now until we get a platform a digital platform like arena or or something in the future that can handle multiplayer well enough. I think it kind of has to be a live game. That's one of the things that Josh has capitalized on in his editing is like he can zoom in on players' faces, he can kind of riff on the energy of the room and stuff like that. And I think that that is something particular to Commander that I think that people can push forward is the fact that it's a bunch of people in a room mm-hmm. together. That's one of the things that Commander has over every other format is yeah. that you're getting together with your friends. So I think like these videos that they're making mm-hmm. where it's all these people in a room, like ribbing each other, like joking, like playing this game together. Like that's a benefit, especially to like a visual medium that they're looking for. We kind of have been mentioning a little bit. Do you want to move on to some fears? Yeah. I don't know how much power the advisory group is going to have. I don't yeah. know if they're actually going to be listened to. It worries me that it it appears that the rules committee invites the advisory group members, which means like you're not going to 
see more controversial views. It seems like they've yeah. already put a couple people on there who they know are going to yeah. be more <laughs> share their views, share their views maybe be more amenable to maintaining the status quo. That worries me a little bit. Everyone that I've seen, and I can assume Ron is the same, has like a fairly optimistic viewpoint mm-hmm. on the format and likes playing it actively seeks out playing it mm-hmm. actively seeks out like the community and that gives me hope but like for them but like you said i i'm afraid that they're not actually going to have that much sway that it's kind of a pr move mm-hmm. as opposed to like an actual we're looking to improve the format like what do these people have to say yeah like now people instead of yelling at the rules committee are either going to be yelling at the advisory group yeah. or trying to get on the advisory group yeah. <laughs> It's still very early, so I'm hoping in like the next three months, by the next like ban restricted announcement, we can kind of see something come of this. And they've said they're going to finalize their charter. Yeah, their charter, their like manifesto for what the goal is. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna see that soon. I'm definitely excited to to see what that looks like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think this is a bigger deal than people kind of think it is. Yeah, at least for the format, like. Like, people obviously acknowledged it and were like, oh, wow, cool. But I don't think people realize, like, how much impact this could have. Yeah, and what this format. is likely to change. Yeah, definitely. I know that Josh Lee Kwai, for example, he has hinted that he thinks the ban list is a little bit bigger than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. That there yeah. are some things that can come off of it, and so you can kind of draw your own conclusions from there. Yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion that Jura of the Gitu is going to become better. Yeah. <laughs> in the near future. Yeah. Reaper King also may become better. May become better. Whoa, watch out, everybody. <laughs> some of the things Josh has said and some of the things that Stib has said, these two in particular talked about, like, removing commander damage. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to see that. But, like, I think that's the thing, not commander damage in particular, but I think that's the thing that I'm most scared of, is the fact that more than less of these people have differing views than I do, and Mm -hmm. I think you do. Yeah. So I'm worried that data-driven viewpoint is going to get drowned out in light of, like, oh, but I'm chilling with the bros. Yeah. Or, um, Or like, it's not a problem in my playgroup, so why... Yeah, stuff like that. The thing that I think is my greatest hope for this is that we figure out what the ban list is for. We figure out kind of like how to make the format better. And the thing I'm most afraid of is that like these people will actively push the format into like a hyper casual kind of like anarchy, whatever goes kind of place where like... Like whoever talked last is correct. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to like, no, let's look at this data. Let's try and get data from Moto. Let's try and get as many people to talk to as possible. Like see anecdotal evidence, compare it to what we know is true. More evidence, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is, I think, the best way to make your decisions on a format. Again, like Wizards has shown they can do that, so I would like to see the Rules Committee do the same. And the advisory. Take a page out of their book. Exactly, yeah. I think that if the advisory group can do that, then we're okay, but. I think it's good that there are a wide variety of perspectives Mm -hmm. present on the advisory group. I think it's important that you have different people bringing different skill sets. Yeah. So, for example, like I would trust Charlotte to present rules, knowledge, and use that to inform the the discussions that are taking place. Yeah. 
I would trust Josh Lee Kwai to talk about how to make Commander work better for... For, like, a viewing, like, Yeah, for the, for the viewers, for, yeah. for that kind of experience. And I would trust Rachel Agnes to, like, present the competitive perspective and mm-hmm. also to talk about what it's like as a streamer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if every perspective is equally valuable. If we know now that some of these people are, like, friends and or agree with some of the rules committee members themselves yeah i feel like that makes it really easy for the rules committee to go like oh well that person agrees with me so so i don't need to do this so i'll do this so whatever like justification yeah given the fact that like the rules committee still has all the decision making power as i understand yeah yeah i don't think they need to stack the advisory group with people who they know and agree with But again, we're going to get more information in the coming months. We'll get to see this charter, and we'll see if changes start being made. We can probably assume that it's because of the input of this advisory group. Yeah, I I think the most immediate place we'll see any change, if there is some, is going to be in regards to the ban list. Mm -hmm. I think that's the easiest place that these people can influence. That's kind of like stroke of a pen. Exactly. You send send like a Skype message to Sheldon, like, hey, about that painter servant, and he goes, oh, okay. I think the larger, kind of maybe more community-based changes are the ones that are going to take time, I think, so... I want to just briefly revisit the subject of commander damage. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can see sort of both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. I think that commander damage was implemented at the very beginning of the format as a way to control infinite life combos, but we don't really see infinite life combos in the format these days. Not not, anymore. That's not an issue. So, like, the problem that commander damage was introduced to solve is no longer relevant, Mm -hmm. and it does create a lot of busy work. It's like... So I've taken two damage from your commander, mm-hmm. and when he stole your commander, you hit me with it. So that's like a separate number I got to keep track of. <laughs> and then your commander dealt me this, and a lot of times it doesn't even matter. Yeah, like that Timna is not going to deal twenty-one commander damage. Yeah, unless you hatred. The current philosophy in R and D is don't make players keep track of things that don't matter. That's yeah. why, like. If you're putting a bunch of cards on the bottom of your library, they make you do it in a random order these days. Yeah. So that you don't have to think like, oh man, in 20 (laughs) turns, I might draw this card first. So I should put that one and then that one and that one. It's like, no, it probably won't matter. Same for commander damage. It probably doesn't matter. Yeah. And that, again, that's that's a data-driven point that they found Mm -hmm. is that people were spending a lot of time on Moto like organizing the four out of five cards they didn't pick Mm -hmm. so that it was like maximum value when they put them on the bottom and then they never saw those cards the rest of the game and and that was something they went like oh we don't need to do this and got rid of it yeah i do see the other side of the argument though like voltron is an archetype yeah although we have some data to suggest it's not a very good one yeah (laughs) but almost any commander can be built as voltron so it might potentially reduce the amount of archetypes in the format. Mm-hmm. But you could also like make the argument of, does it reduce the number of viable archetypes in the format? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, there are very few, I think, good Voltron commanders. Yeah. So I have seen so many times someone show up from the playgroup with like, oh, yeah, I made so-and-so. And you're like, oh, cool. And then they start playing and you go... Is that is that Voltron? Mm-hmm. Did you do Blue Braids Voltron? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you? 
what are you doing? <laughs> like stuff like that. So yeah. hopefully, as the months progress, we'll start getting more of these discussions, mm-hmm. talking about commander damage, talking about ban lists, talking about like who the ban list is for. Mm-hmm. Please, please, I want to know. But it is very exciting. It was a yes, an exciting development to potentially see more transparency, more energy, mm-hmm. more new ideas. Mm-hmm. with regards to how Commander is designed and administered. Before we wrap up for today, I uh, just want to come in with a listener question of the week. So this question comes to us from follower of Liliana on Tumblr. Do you have any, oh my god, why aren't you playing card X in your deck, stories to share? In my case, I'm always baffled by the fact that people rarely include flagstones of Trocare in their Noyandar lists. I think we had a ton of these when we did our EDH rec deep dive. Yeah, there is a bunch of different lists where we would look and go, wait, what? Like, why Why aren't you doing X or Y or something like that? Yeah, so if you want dozens of examples, I, I would suggest re-listening to those six episodes. Yeah. <laughs> but one that sticks out to me was the lack of spreading plague anywhere on the EDH rec page for Erebos. Mm-hmm. So Erebos is an indestructible enchantment creature. And for those who don't know it, Spreading Plague is four and a black for an enchantment. Whenever a creature comes into play, destroy all other creatures that share a color with it. They can't be regenerated. So this card is fantastic yeah. <laughs> at keeping the board clear. And that's kind of exactly what like Erebos decks want to do. They tend to be built as mono-black control. Yeah. <laughs> and this card, it just allows you to make it so that unless somebody has enchantment removal... Anytime they play a creature, they kill all their other creatures and probably get some splash damage against the other players. It kind of kills everything except your commander, who's indestructible. It also discourages people from playing more creatures. Um, So it's a really powerful tool for Mono Black, but we didn't see it anywhere. Yeah, I think it's a strong card that can be played in a few different controlling lists. I think, obviously, any black commander that's indestructible, mm-hmm. any black commander that doesn't care about dying, so, like, Skullbreaker yeah. <laughs> is pretty good, because not only do you get rid of all the green and black blockers, you, like, don't really care if you play me, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a few different places for this card, and, and I do think it should be played more. But again, like, w- that was something else we saw in the EDH rec deep dive was like combo and control were less representative than we thought they would be yeah so that definitely a lot more turning guys sideways yeah and pillow fort and pillow fort (laughs) there's one other thing i want to mention yeah yeah in addition to some cases of like man why is nobody running this card it's so good in this deck there were also some examples where why are they running this strategy with this commander for example phoenix yeah yeah Phoenix was definitely one where we looked and went, wait, wait, why? Yeah. Why are you doing this? So, like, with Phoenix, a lot of people were running it as a way to mill their opponents out. Mm-hmm. But it's actually much better as a commander if you're trying to mill yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> trying to mill 100 cards is a whole lot easier than milling 300 cards. Mm-hmm. And then once you've milled your entire library, you're going to hit your Nexus of Fate. And then your only card in your library is Nexus of Fate, and you can just take infinite turns. Mill everybody out. Yeah, and then you can start milling. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that Nexus of Fate wasn't in the deck, the fact that self-mill didn't seem to be a priority, despite the fact that it was so powerful and good and yeah. hard to disrupt, mm-hmm. very surprising. Yeah, I think mill as a tool 
for yourself is a lot better most of the time than just like trying to traumatize someone to death. Yeah. That one definitely stood out. (laughs) (laughs) But again, just go ahead and check out those EDH rec episodes. They have a lot of examples like this. We went through dozens and dozens (laughs) of commanders. I still can't get over Corona. God Um, tribal is not something I thought I would see mm -hmm. ever. (laughs) And the funny thing is like there, there's another five color commander that works way better for God Tribal. Like, just yeah. play Child of Alora. Yeah. All my gods are indestructible anyway. Yeah, Who do I care? The lands don't blow up. The guys don't blow up. That Yeah, this was a great question. I think that this is something that does happen fairly often where someone will sit down at a table and you go, huh. <laughs> there's often cases where there's just some piece of tech that isn't popularized. Mm-hmm. And, well, that's what we try to do on this podcast is yeah. let people know about them. Yeah, for sure. That wraps it up for this week. I want to give a quick thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley Pullen, Gustav Nyland, Ryan White King, Mark Tranquilly, and Eamon Schofield. If you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash commander theory, and we have options from as low as $1 a month. So check it out, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time. 